invite you to join me this evening in First uh, Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. We'll just be looking at a few verses this evening. First uh, Peter one verses three to five. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this Easter, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our hope is, even as we have just sung, that it is a foretaste of deliverance. That in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that our hope is unwavering. For we too shall rise. Even as our passage in 1 Corinthians told us, if in Christ we are good in this life only, then we are of all men the most miserable. But Jesus Christ is alive. He has risen from the dead, and therefore our hope is unwavering. And we rejoice in that, Heavenly Father. We rejoice in the hope of resurrection. Even as a church body, this very week, as we mourn the loss of our brother in Christ, Dick Talley, Even in that, we rejoice even as we mourn. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. Because there is hope. And so, Heavenly Father, this evening we pray that you would give us faith. Renew our hope. Strengthen our faith. That we may be encouraged and we may go and encourage others. That we may be ambassadors for our risen Lord taking the gospel, the good news of our risen Savior, to the world around us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I mentioned earlier, this has been a, a good day. Easter is one of my favorite days. It's, a, it's an awesome day. As you come to church, some of my favorite songs are Easter songs. They are filled with triumph and joy. Even this morning as we celebrated a baptism. Again, it is exciting. Look what God has done. But as we celebrate the resurrection, that brings up another question. What what does it all mean? Yes, it's good that Jesus rose from the dead. That's exciting. That's good. but, But what does that mean for me today? In Altoona, Iowa in 2022... What does it mean for me today that Jesus has risen from the dead? You see, it's more than just a fact. Yes, he did rise. Yes, he is alive. But it's more than just a fact. The fact that Jesus has risen from the dead gives meaning to every single day of your life. It gives perspective to your life. It gives hope. That's what we see here in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. In this passage, uh, I'm actually going to start in verse 1 and read down through verse 5. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, as Peter writes this epistle, he's writing to believers in Asia Minor. These are churches that have been established. They've been around. The year that this is written is likely 63 or 64 AD. And that's important. Because as we know the world around at that time, specifically the Roman Empire, that tells us something. In 63 and 64 AD, persecution is on the rise. In fact, it is 64 AD when Rome famously burns. And you know what that meant for Christians, do we not? Nero blamed the Christians. And they fell under intense persecution. In fact, there are stories of Nero taking believers and putting them up in his garden and burning them alive so that he can enjoy the evening, lighting his garden. And there are horrible things. Not to mention the stories of Christians in the Colosseum. Wild beasts being ripped to shreds. Ripping these Christians to shreds. And that's not even taking into account all the, the other ways. Christians who lost businesses and homes and careers and opportunities. Because they're Christians. This is on the rise in this time. In 64, that's when it really strikes and it really rises up, specifically in the city of Rome. Persecution has come. And not just things that are uncomfortable. I mean, your life is in danger if you are a Christian in Rome at this time. Now, as I mentioned, this letter, this epistle, is written to believers in churches in Asia Minor. They are far removed from Rome. And yet they are still in the Roman Empire. And they know as they look that whatever is happening in Rome is headed their way. Even already they are probably facing some kind of persecution. But they know what's coming. And so Peter is writing to these believers. You know what's coming. I know what's coming. It is about to get real. And so think about that for a second. If you were writing to believers somewhere where you knew that persecution, intense persecution was coming, what are the things that you would include in that letter? Notice how Peter begins here. I know my, my text is verses 3 to 5, but I, want to, I think it's important in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims. To the pilgrims. To those who are just an alien in this world. There's a sense of pilgrims as if uh, you're, you're, um, you've gone out, you've moved in a dispersion into these different cities. And yet there's also a sense there, pilgrims, aliens. To those whose home is not here in this present world, you belong to a different kingdom. 
Your hope is not here. Your hope is out there. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. These are those who are called to live with an eternal perspective. Verse 2 focuses on their salvation. They are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. These are those who have been saved. They are in Christ. And so to you who are Christ's, you who are Christians, who are just passing through this life, it is not your home. That is to whom Peter is writing. And in verse 3 to 5, he really turns his attention here. And it focuses on really three words in the very middle of this section. A living hope. A living hope. You have hope. You have hope. In fact, that's what we're going to see in this section. Peter takes the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we have been celebrating all day, and he then applies that to the very real situation that these believers find themselves in. They are facing persecution. It is coming. And this is what the resurrection means for that. This is what that means for your life. So as we work our way through this passage, we'll see you have a living hope in Christ. You have a lasting hope in Christ. And you have a settled hope in Christ. First thing we see in verse 3 is that you have a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That idea, blessed, is the, is the idea of, of one who is worthy of praise. God is worthy of praise. Specifically, God the Father. The one who sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. You, God, are worthy of praise. Why? Because according to his abundant Mercy, he has begotten us to a living hope. Because of his abundant mercy. Abundant, overflowing, many, great. I don't remember how we got started, but when the twins were younger, Clinton and Judah, they started using this phrase, uh, that just kind of stuck around in our family. You probably have phrases like that in your family where one of the kids at one point said something and it was funny and then you just kind of kept saying it and then it kind of stuck on. Now it's kind of a joke in your family. Well, at one point, I don't remember what it was, but somehow uh, the boys were describing something and there was, um, it was a long time or something and they started using the phrase, lots of. And so, for instance, you know, if you ask, how much snow did we get today? They would say, lots of. Or, how hungry are you? Lots of. Anytime that there is a large amount of something, they say, lots of. And uh, I've found myself, it kind of, I've started picking up on it. And so they'll ask me a question, I'll just say, you know, not even thinking, I'll just be lots of. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> But that's kind of the idea here. How much mercy does God have? Lots of. Abundant. Many. Great. 
There is no boundary. There's no end to it. And it's because of that mercy that he has begotten us again. The idea there, begotten us again, is the idea of being born a new, given new life. And note who's doing this is. It is God's doing. You have new life because of the abundant mercy of God who has given it to you. Notice it doesn't say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his kindness gave us the mercy that we deserve. Because you don't deserve it. That's the whole point of mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has given us new life. He's begotten us again, called us to new life. And as a result of this new life in Christ, what is it that we have? A living hope. A living hope. We understand that phrase, a living hope. In fact, we... we Use it sometimes. You may have heard it in a, in a movie or in a book or maybe someone's used it with you in a situation where, where things seem beyond all hope. The situation has gone beyond control and, and someone will, will wrap their arms around whoever it is and they'll say, keep hope alive. What do they mean in that moment? Don't give up. Don't let hope die. Keep fighting. There is still hope. There is still a way out. Keep pushing. That's what Peter is reminding his readers. You have a hope that is still alive. Your hope is living. Hope that is alive is hope that has legs to stand on. You have a reason to hope. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your hope is not foolish. It's not empty. You have legs to stand on. This is legitimate. There is a reason to hope. Because God in his abundant mercy has called you to new life. A living hope. Based on what? Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what we heard in 1 Corinthians 15 earlier, as Jordan read, is it not? If Jesus was not risen from the dead, then our hope is dead. If Jesus is dead, our hope is dead. But as long as Jesus is alive, then your hope is alive. Don't you see your hope is tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's why it's good news. That's why the resurrection matters. That's why we celebrate it. Not just so that we can say, yay, God's alive. But because that has meaning to our lives. Because Jesus is alive, my hope is alive. You have a living hope in Christ. 
hope that knows no end. Is that not also one of the themes of Hebrews, it seems? The, Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews is focusing on that as we've been working our way through that on Sunday mornings. The last several chapters in Hebrews 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, what is it that he keeps bringing up again and again and again? It's that Jesus is your eternal high priest. As long as Jesus' ministry as a high priest goes on, and it will go on as long as he is living, then you have hope. That's the exact same thing that Peter is saying here. Guys, your hope is tied to Jesus Christ. And he is alive. And so you have a living hope. Secondly, you have a lasting hope. Not only is your hope living now, but it will last. It's not just that you have hope now, but tomorrow you might wake up and you might not have a living hope. You have a living hope that is a lasting hope. He's called us to a living hope. And and, and what is this living hope? What is the, the context of this living hope? It is an inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You have an inheritance. This inheritance is the salvation that we saw back in 1 Peter 1-2. This inheritance is everything that God has promised you in Christ. That is your inheritance. And it is yours because Jesus is alive. Note the language that he use, uses. This, this inheritance is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It is that which does not fade away. Why do you think it is that, the, that, the, that, that Peter uses that language? Those three words. Incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. It's because we live in a world where that is all we know, is it not? I have a baseball in my office. I used that for an illustration not too many weeks ago. A baseball signed by the Colorado Rockies from the year that they went to the World Series, ended up losing. But over the years, since I've got that baseball, from 2005, I believe it was, the signatures have already started to fade. I try to protect it. I try to keep it from being right in direct sunlight where it could speed up that process. But the reality is that just over time, it fades. In fact, this is a process we go through every year with spring and fall. Plants rise up and they fall down, they die. We live in a world that is corruptible, that is defiled, and that does fade. This is all that we know. Because we live in a broken, sin-cursed, dying world. And yet in the midst of that, In this world where everything around you is dying, where everything around you is falling apart, where everything around you is corrupted and defiled and fading away. In fact, in this world, 
where even the government, the Roman government, has turned against you, and people that you love are dying in the midst of all of this corruption, in the midst of this dying world, you have a living hope. A sure and eternal inheritance. And that's good news for us. Because we too live in a dying world. We see it all around us. We know the effects of it. We have lost loved ones and friends. We know the sting of death. The effects of corruption and defilement. In the midst of all that, we have an inheritance, a living hope. Even in the midst of a dying world. This is a hope that is reserved in heaven for you, away from the corruption of this world. There is nothing and no one that can get its hands on this inheritance of yours and rip it away. In fact, Paul makes that same point in Romans 8, does he not? The famous passage. I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor, nor anything... No height, nor depth. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can take away what is yours in Christ. It is reserved for you in heaven, set aside and saved with your name on it. It is lasting. Your living hope is not just a living hope for today. It is a living hope tomorrow and every day for eternity. Because it is yours and it is lasting in Christ. And finally, you have a settled hope. Verse 5. Reserved for you. For who? For those who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It is settled. This hope is yours. It is settled. There is no one who can get their hands on it. No one who can change it. It is yours and, it is, and you are. Not only, notice that, those who are kept. The idea here is not just that your inheritance is kept, that God's locked that away and he's keeping that. But even you, God is keeping you. Not only will he not let your inheritance fade away, he will not let you fall away. You who are kept by the power of God. Note again, who is it that keeps? It is God. It doesn't say you who are kept by the testimony of your baptism. It doesn't say you who are faithful in confession to a human priest. It doesn't say you who, who are kept because your good works outweigh your bad works. It says you who are kept by the power of God. It is God who saved you and it is God who keeps you. Kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. Again, through what? Through faith. You are kept by God just as you are saved by God. For salvation. Really that word salvation is a, sum, is a summary of what we've already seen in verses 4 and 3. Going all the way back to verse 2. 
Our salvation is the hope of verse 3. It is the inheritance of verse 4. And it is the promise of verse 2. You have been saved. This is God's doing. He is keeping you and he has saved you by faith, by his power. But we still live in a fallen world. We still struggle against the realities of incorruption, of, of, of corruption, of defilement, and of things that do fade away. So where is this salvation? So we see here at the end of this verse, this salvation which is ready to be revealed in the last time. It is ready to be revealed. The idea there is not that you are any less saved now than you will be, but that there is coming a time when your faith will be sight. When all that God is doing is completed, your salvation is sure and you are saved, and your salvation is sure and you will be saved. God will complete what he has begun in you, as Philippians 1 tells us. Really what we see here, this idea here, is the idea of glorification. That in the end, when this life is done, your suffering is through. In the end, God will be found to be faithful. And your living hope will be fully fulfilled. And we long for that day, do we not? Even so, come Lord Jesus. But as you look at a passage like this, just three simple verses in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. We see here how the resurrection of Jesus Christ has application to every single day of your life. Everything that you go through, go through it with an eternal perspective. Recognize that you are just a pilgrim in this world. Recognize that you have a living hope, a hope that all the trouble and suffering and pain and disappointment of this, of this life cannot touch. It cannot lay one finger on your hope because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he pleads for you. You are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. Your hope is sure because Jesus Christ is risen. And no matter what you go through in this life, keep your eyes on eternity. Look to the empty cross and then look ahead knowing that God will fulfill everything that he has promised me because that tomb is empty. And so what does that mean for us? How do you apply it? Well, very simply, live like it. See the truth of this passage and then live like it is true. Believe it. If this is true, if Jesus has risen from the dead, 
And if your hope is secure, if everything that you go through in this life has purpose and your living hope is secure, if you are kept by God, then don't you think that's going to have an effect on your day? Don't you think that should change your perspective a little bit? When you become disappointed, we all face disappointment. Remember that this world is fading, it is falling away. But your hope is not in this world. It's in eternity. In the midst of pain and suffering, whether whether that looks like sickness, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, whatever that looks like, remember that your hope is not tied to this life. You are just a pilgrim here, passing through. Remember what Peter wrote to these believers facing persecution when their whole world is turned upside down and they know that they could very well be facing death. What does Peter say to them? He says, you have a living hope. Live like it. It's easier said than done. How do you live like it? That's where the Bible comes in. You regularly go back to the Bible. Regularly remind yourself of what is true. It is so easy to get distracted, is it not? It is so easy to get knocked off track. But go through here. Let this light your path. Let this be the lens through which you see the world, through which you see your struggles and disappointments and pains. Let this draw your mind back to the empty tomb and give you hope for the future. Remember, Jesus is risen from the dead. Therefore, your hope is alive. We're going to close with a song.